Before worship, Josh mentioned that he'd been uh, singing with us for 20 years. That, uh, so he came, he started when he was four, right? And this, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're grateful for the group and uh, the addition to worship. If you'll take your Bibles with you this morning and open to Galatians chapter 5. We are on to the next portion of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and it, was, it was interesting, uh, out of all the, the portions of the fruit, this had the least amount written about it. I mean, uh, part of what I do, obviously, is to go and to, to dig in and to research and, and to uh, read about these things. And this one had the least amount written about it of everything that I found. But there are other places in Scripture that really focus on kindness. So, so that's, we're going to start here and, and go and see its application in some other places, as we'll see in a moment. But um, a lot of commentators said, yeah, it's important to be kind. And they went on to, you know, self-control is tougher. We're, we're, there's a lot written about self-control, okay? So let's stand and we'll I'll read the Word of God. Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit today, that we might understand your word, and not just just see the words, but that they would penetrate us, and that they would flow from our actions, for it is in our actions that we demonstrate the fruit. We pray for your guidance and your insight, that our eyes would be open. We ask in Christ's name, amen. So Galatians 5, verse 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. All right, how many Boy Scouts do we have here? Quite a few. Okay, the Boy Scout Law, not the Boy Scout Oath. Can you recite the Boy Scout Law? A scout is? Trustworthy, very good. Trustworthy? Outstanding. Very good. Kind. That was what I pointed to. But, uh, you know, uh, you know it's, it's tough to live up to all those things. And, and, you know, there is an actual foundation out there that's called, and maybe you've seen bumper stickers, you know, uh, do random acts of kindness or something. There is an actual foundation called the Random Acts of Kindness Foundation. And there is an international and a U.S. Random Acts of Kindness Day, official day. The official day is the 13th of November for the world, and the United States has their own February 17th. So go out on the 17th of February and do a random act of kindness. Unless you're a scout, which you have to do, what, every day you have to do that, okay? And the purpose, as stated from their literature, the purpose of random acts of kindness is to conquer the world one act at a time. Conquer the world one act at a time. Okay? 
this is some, some background on kindness for us. Now, the main problem in understanding kindness is the fact that it is one of those traits, one of those actions in which there is a lot of carryover into other traits and actions as well. Kindness, goodness, mercy, love, grace, favor, compassion, gentleness, tenderness, they all kind of fall under the same umbrella. <coughs> Excuse me. And all these are similar and involve many of the same traits, many of the same actions, many of the same demonstrations of things. Um, and, and if we look at the language of Galatians in particular, though, it kind of sets it apart here. And, and we don't see it so much, well, we don't see it at all because it's just listed here, but the Greek for kindness specifically applies to rendering a service to another. Rendering a service to another. So you can't just think kind thoughts about somebody. Okay, I'm zapping you with kind thoughts. That's not kindness. Kindness must be demonstrated. It must be lived out. And it comes in, in the form of a service to another. You have to do kindness. And throughout Scripture, we see different ways that this is done. Now, God's kindness, as an example, was taught throughout Scripture. And it's given to all, it is demonstrated to all in some degree. The Puritans called this common grace. Um, God is kind to all He has made, uh, from Psalm 145, even though often His creation is ungrateful for that kindness. Even though we don't particularly like Him or are interested in Him, that doesn't mean that He is not kind to us. The rain falls on who? The just and the unjust. And I thought about the, the parable of the ten lepers. Jesus comes across ten lepers and he heals them and says, now go show yourself to the priest. So they all run off to the priest, but one comes back to give him thanks and praise. What happened to the other nine? Did they suddenly become, go turn back to being a leper because they didn't come back and thank Jesus? No, there's no evidence of that. They were healed out of the kindness of our Heavenly Father. So his kindness, the kindness of Christ, the kindness of our Heavenly Father, it's not limited or it's not dependent upon the actions of us. It wasn't dependent upon the actions of the lepers. He healed them out of the kindness of his own heart. The second kind is, is that the believer, it is the believer alone who can really and truly celebrate the kindness of our Heavenly Father. And not just in the area of salvation. Obviously, that's, that's the third one, the, the, our area of salvation, where He is kind to us. Uh, and our salvation derives from the kindness of our Heavenly Father, Ephesians chapter 2. But we also understand the kindness of our Heavenly Father as He cares for us, as He ministers to us in our moments of trial, of frustration, of uh, uh, times where, where we think we're at the end of our rope and we, we need something. The Lord is kind unto those who belong to Him. Now, kindness, don't mistake that for weakness, uh, because kindness is a characteristic of our Heavenly Father. David says of God in 2 Samuel, Your gentleness or your kindness has made me great. It is God's kindness that has been bestowed upon David. His kindness to sinners, even though we don't like it, it is His kindness that is designed to lead us to repentance. The kindness of our Heavenly Father. Kindness is to be a characteristic of all believers. Paul says to the Thessalonians, we were gentle, we were kind among you. If you turn over, if you're in Galatians, turn back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here is the great passage on love. Okay, so uh, we all 
know this or know of it. And we come to this definition in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. And this is the definition of love. It says what love is. Okay, And all these are really actions. So you, love is not just a warm fuzzy in our heart, but love is something that is continually and regularly demonstrated. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. We looked at that before. And love is kind. So the second aspect of love is kindness. Now, if we're going to rate these, uh, love is patient, kind, it's not jealous, doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, it never fails. Okay? The second one is love is kind. It is tender. It is an active and outward expression of love. So we as believers are called to be kind and gentle. Second Timothy says the servant of the Lord must not strive, must not be in strife, but be kind and gentle at all times. Christ's kindness is shown to us. I have too many references to, to look at there, both in, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, but I, I want to look at one place in particular about where we can actually see kindness. Now, there are lots of places. Jesus finds lepers, and he, he heals the ten lepers. And in the first chapter of Mark, he comes across, and he's moved with compassion, and he heals two lepers there. He touches them. But we need to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And here we will see a demonstration of kindness. And this is such... It is such a great passage. Okay? Such a great passage. And it's easy to, to look at it briefly and move on and go, well, that's, that's cool, and, and not get everything from it. And, and we can't spend uh, as much time as I'd like on it because there's another passage... That's, that's kind of a parallel passage in the New Testament that we're going to look at too, as well in Luke 14 in just a moment. But 2 Samuel, uh, let me give you the context. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David has solidified his reign and his rule. He is now king. Um, Saul is gone. All the pretenders to the throne are gone. And there David sits as the king. He is God's man, and, and remember, it, it was, I think it was 17 years before, between his uh, being anointed and finally becoming king. Okay, so he had to bear with patience all that time up to the point where he would become king. And understand, in that time, it was the common practice for anybody who could later show up and usurp the throne to do away with him. Okay? So anybody who was still alive in Saul's house, because Saul was the throne, and, and Saul was the king, and Saul had uh, Jonathan. Uh, was, I think he had th three, four sons, and Jonathan was one. I'm suddenly blanking on that. But all of them had to be killed. They were killed in battle. All their children had to be killed. Everything like that. That's just the way it was done. But here's David, chapter 9, verse 1. David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness 
for Jonathan's sake. So David had not been out killing everybody, but other people had, because not everybody had the heart of David. Okay, so some of his soldiers were, were taking care of things because David really isn't about this, so we're going to do it for him. And, and David says, you know what, is there anybody in the house of Saul? And he didn't know whether this was no one or 20 people left. He didn't, he didn't know. That I may show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan. Now, this word kindness here is translated as hesed. Hesed is this covenant faithfulness. It is loving faithfulness. It is truth. It is patient love and patient faithfulness. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the list of, of the equivalents uh, of trying to define this word hesed from the Old Testament. It is one of those great and very, very important words. Now, now let's look at it for a moment. Turn back to Exodus. Keep your finger in 2 Samuel and turn to Exodus 34. The word hesed describes the way that God demonstrates his loving kindness. And not just the way that God demonstrates it, but it is, you can't remove it and make it separate from God's character. God's character is covenant faithfulness. His character is loving kindness. It is hesed, okay, the covenant love of God, loyalty, faithfulness, it keeps its promise, it it. it we go back to, to Corinthians 13, you know, it, it, that's an, a demonstration of it. Well, here in Exodus 34, verses 5, 6, and 7, Moses is now making the new tablets, and the commandments are being written on them, and we see in verse 5, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. So God is giving his name, and when you give your name in the Old Testament, especially in Hebrew, you are revealing and declaring part of your character. And this is what God is like, verse 6. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. That is the hesed, okay? So what we have here is the Lord is abounding in this loving kindness. He, it, 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 just, it just flows out of him on a regular basis. Let's keep reading verse 7. Who keeps this loving kindness for thousands. This is the kind of God that he is. The kind of God that David wants to emulate. The, the type of God that he is is he makes a promise and keeps a promise. And that promise flows from his character. And out of that character also comes this loving kindness. You cannot divorce the two. They are inseparable here. And David says, I want to demonstrate the same type of love and kindness that the Lord has shown to me to someone who what? Could possibly be a pretender to the throne. Could possibly come one day and usurp the throne that the Lord has given to him. Now, nobody's going to do that, but in that culture, that was part of the issue. So let's go back to 2 Samuel and read the story here. Is there yet anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, remember, David and Jonathan had this pack, 
And they were best friends. And it started to be best friends when David was just a shepherd and Jonathan was the heir to the throne. There was a a love and a friendship between the two. And he knows Jonathan is dead. But it is for the kindness for Jonathan's sake that he wants to demonstrate this. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show what? Not just kindness, but the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Now the reason he is crippled in both feet is because in a time when when bad things were happening, uh, one of the servants whisked this young boy away. And when he was running away, we see this in in earlier portions, he fell and the servant fell on the legs of this young boy. And that's why he's crippled. Okay. The king sent and brought him from the house of Michar, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now imagine his name is Mephibosheth. Imagine what it was like for him. Here he has lived in anonymity for all his life he's heard the stories of how he's perhaps the only surviving descendant of Saul everyone else has been killed he's heard the story of how he was whisked away to save his life and that's why he is lame in his legs and he has lived in anonymity off in some backwater portion of the kingdom and all of a sudden what does he hear he goes to the door and who's there David's men I'm toast, you know. Uh, he just, his, his countenance must have just fallen there and said, okay, the king wants me. He's found me. He's going to kill me because I'm, I must be the only one left. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he said, here is your servant. And David, and what's, what's next? We know what's next, but remember in Mephibosheth's mind, you know, he's waiting for the sword to come down. But David says, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Now, this was fantastic stuff, okay? Lived off in the backwater of the country. Nobody knew who he was except one servant. He gets a call. He comes to the king. He thinks he's going to be killed. And what happens? David says, no, I'm going to show you kindness. What kind of kindness? The kindness of our heavenly father. The same kindness that David had experienced in his life. The same type of kindness that every believer has experienced in our lives. That type of kindness. And David says, I'm going to show that to you because of my love for Jonathan. Restore to you all the lands of your grandfather Saul. That was a lot of land. And you shall eat at my table regularly. Now, eat at my table. The king's table was a big deal to eat at the king's table. But think of the people who were at the king's table that Mephibosheth was going to eat with. Well, you got David, and he's king. And and David is is he he's the man. Okay, he's a man after God's own heart. He's the king. He's mighty in battle. He just has done all of this. 
Who else is there? Amnon, David's eldest son. His half-sister, Tamar. Tamar must have been exceedingly beautiful. Remember, Amnon had a thing for Tamar and, and, and raped her later. You remember Absalom is there. Absalom is David's favorite. He's the one that wants to destroy the kingdom. And all David can think of is Absalom, oh Absalom. Okay? They are there. Joab is there, the nephew of David, the captain of David's army, this mightiest of all the soldiers in the land. This is the table that Mephibosheth, who is lame in the legs, is going to be eating at each and every day. And he says, David says, come to the table. He says, because of the kindness that the Lord has shown to me, I'm going to demonstrate it to you for my love of your father, Jonathan. Verse 9, the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, all that belongs to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. You shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. He says that twice. He says that twice. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Three times he eats at the table. Three times it is said he eats at the table. Now we can easily pass over the story and say, well, that's, that's good. That, 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 I got a fuzzy from that. That was nice. But where was Mephibosheth? He was hiding. He was over there far out of the way. And David, acting in the same way that God does for the sake of God's kindness, goes and finds Mephibosheth, who is crippled. And he goes and gets him. And he brings him back and puts him at his very own table for the rest of his life and restores to him all the things that were his grandfather's. That doesn't take a great jump to make that application. Our Heavenly Father comes and finds us. We who are crippled by sin, He comes and finds us and grabs us and takes us where? To His table. Luke 14. Turn over to Luke 14. And He takes us to the table. We have been crippled by sin. We have no business at the Father's table. But yet because of His kindness and because of His mercy, He comes and finds us. And there we are. We're hiding in the corner because we're touched by sin. And we don't think we have any business in the Father's presence. But yet He comes and finds us and takes us and draws us unto Himself. He says, come. I have a banquet table prepared for you that is beyond your imagination. And you get to eat there each and every day. Each and every day. Luke chapter 14. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. Saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. So that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher, then you will have the honor in the sight of all who are at the table before you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Whew. 
Now, Jesus comes and he chastises, he's been invited to this banquet, and he chastises the host for the seating arrangement. Okay? Now, a seating arrangement, it's, it's like I'm much more along the lines of whoever gets to the table first gets to pick their seat. Okay? Uh, we don't have place cards at my house. Okay? Except for the dog. He can't eat at the table. Okay? But, you know, here it was the host had invited guests and each guest wanted to sit close to the host because the host, that's, you know, that's the place of honor. You want to sit up next to the host. And Jesus comes in and says, guys, don't do that. Let the host exalt you. Humble yourself first. Uh, there's, there's this phrase from John the Baptist. He said what? I must decrease and he must increase. What business do I have at the Lord's table anyway? Ah, but it is the Lord that comes and finds me and takes me in the midst of my sin and moves me and elevates me, invites me to his table, and he feeds me for all my life there. So after Jesus has been on him about the seating arrangements, he goes on in verse 12. And he also went on to say to, to the one who had invited him, when you have a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. See, the, in, the, the, the idea here is that the host had invited the, uh, uh, the in crowd, had invited the ones who was, he was counting on to be invited back to their place at when they had a special meal. So in reciprocity, he said, well, you know, so uh, we'll, we'll all get together and encourage one another and we'll all be seen and I'll be seen at their house and, and, and that will elevate my status in the community. Jesus says, no, don't do that. But when you give a reception, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And you can imagine what the host is thinking, but what can they do for me? And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who shall eat the bread of the kingdom. And then he goes on to, to elaborate. We have to understand that, that, that Jesus is not against inviting the well-to-do to a reception. He says, he's not saying just invite poor people to your house all the time. He's not saying that. He's saying, what are your motives? Are your motives to demonstrate the same type of kindness that the Lord has demonstrated to you? And if that is true, then who needs a demonstration of that kindness? Those who have nothing. The what? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Mephibosheth, who's hiding back in the backwaters of the country. He needs to come to the table. Randy Jenkins, who was crippled by sin and back in the backwater of the world, and the Lord came and found him and said, come and eat at my table. I've got a banquet for you. He says, now you go and do the same type of thing. Find those who are crippled by sin and give them the gospel. Find those who have nothing to give back to you and give to them. Whoa. I can only do that for so long. Well, yeah, you can only do that for so long before you have nothing. But it says here, you will be blessed in the midst of doing that. 
J.C. Ryle says, It is certain that our Lord does not mean by this parable to forbid us from showing any hospitality to our relatives or to our friends or to people of means, but we must not forget that this passage contains this important lesson. It is plain and direct. The Lord Jesus would have us care for our poor brethren and help them according to our power. Now, who is our poor brethren? Anybody that you would do something for that you, you have no, mean, no reason to expect them to do anything back to you because they have no means to do anything back to you. So that, that's the challenge for the week, to go and to purposely find Mephibosheth who's hiding away in the corner somewhere and bring him to the table. You don't have to bring him to your own house and, and feed him there. If the Lord leads you to do that, that's your business. But show the kindness of our Heavenly Father to someone who has no capacity or no expectation, and you have no expectation that they will give back to you in return. Show kindness to somebody who can't invite you to their house, who can't show that kindness back to you. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of kindness that we find in the fruit of the Spirit. That is what is to be demonstrated in our lives. And you think, oh gosh, Rand, what are you saying? That there I am on the access road along the, the parkway, and when I stop at the light, and the guy there with the sign, you know, who, who smells so bad, who hasn't had a bath, and he says, you know, I've got nothing to eat, I'm supposed to get him into my car and, and to take him somewhere and to demonstrate kindness to him? That's what the Lord leads you to. But ladies, I wouldn't do it if I was in the car by myself, if I were you, okay? But what does the Lord lead you to do within your capacity? Do something where you expect nothing in return. Do something to someone who can't possibly give you anything in return. That's kindness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have nothing to give you in return for the kindness that you have bestowed upon us. I know we're called to worship you and to give you all that we are, but, but it pales in comparison. You came out and found us. There we were, crippled by sin, and you came and found us and took hold of us and drew us unto yourself and gave us life. And you put us at your table where we can feast on the things that you have prepared for us. As David said, is there anybody left that I can show the kindness of God to? That's the call upon our hearts today. Who is it that you will have us demonstrate this kindness to? The kindness that you have shown to us. Who will it be this week? That we might demonstrate the kindness of Christ. In word, that we might declare that he is the Savior. That we might declare his grace and love and mercy and indeed, that we might show his grace and his mercy and expect nothing in return, but to do it because you have done it to us. Open our eyes.
to this this week. Show us who it is, Lord, that we might physically demonstrate your kindness this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.